South Africa's democracy just turned 25 years old. 1994, that's when it became the Rainbow Nation. It was no longer a pariah state. There was freedom, there was hope. Now, a lot of that hope is gone. The currency's in a slump. The country is struggling to keep the lights on. Millions of South Africans have had to put up with power cuts because the public utility has reached a tipping point. Former President Jacob Zuma is facing a slew of corruption charges. He resigned last year under pressure from his own party. The leader, who has been in power since 2009 and faces numerous corruption allegations, leaves office with South Africa in dire economic straits. Tonight, the Zuma era came to an end. So now, South Africa is marking another milestone, the first election since the Zuma years. There are huge problems ahead, starting with the economy. South Africa has the biggest wealth gap in the world, and there are many reasons for that. But a lot of South Africans say the problem is rooted in the land. Look, we're landless, 25 years, where is the land? We are tenants here, all of us, black people are tenants in their own country. This country is in the hands of white people. You can't say this multi, what is multi-democracy? Me, I'm going to the township, they're going to the white suburbs there. Who has land and who doesn't? It's been called South Africa's original sin. I'm Malika Bilal and this is The Take. It's always unbelievable to see the, the different realities of South Africans, depending on who they are. Vamita Miller is Al Jazeera's correspondent in South Africa. She's lived there most of her life, and she's been reporting there for years. You will have not just rich, but a wealthy, very well-to-do areas, children who are going to school in private schools, children who have access to everything that's necessary that allows for a secure future, and just bordering that, you'll have South Africans who have absolutely nothing, who then invade the land to take ownership, saying we've had enough with a government that isn't delivering. So many people, mainly black South Africans, are still living in the slums and townships they were living in under apartheid. They're allowed to live in what used to be white-only areas, but they can't afford it. And that's led people to take the land into their own hands. Slivers of light shine through the simply furnished home of Nokwandisa Kwetana. She's been living on this land illegally for three weeks. There are dozens more roughly built homes dotted across this hill in Stellenbosch near Cape Town, an area known for its affluent vineyards and estates. It's because of our government that we are here. We have asked for land before, but they have not helped us. We have to make a lot of noise and fight to get this land here. And that's essentially become their last resort because they say the government hasn't provided. And even in, in, in cases where there have been land invasions, it's still about creating informal settlements with homes that are made out of iron sheeting, plastic and cardboard. People are living in terrible conditions. A court has ordered that no more homes can be built here and those that are unoccupied be destroyed. But as night falls, people scurry to bring in more building material. This is our land that was taken from our ancestors. Even though the current owner bought this land, the previous owner stole this land. And so now it needs to be returned to us. We are taking the land. 
I think a lot of promises have been made around land. And in terms of the South African, the economy, the inclusion of the majority of people in that economy, South Africa's history and South Africa's way forward, I don't think land can be ignored. And when you speak to somebody who talks about having to take public transport from four in the morning, in the dark, in the winter, to wherever they work to get there on time, and then also spends the majority of their earnings on just getting to and from work, and then they go back to an informal settlement where they live in conditions that are horrendous. And what many are saying, this shouldn't exist 25 years after the dawn of democracy. And I think this is what frustrates a lot of South Africans, is how little has changed and where they find themselves 25 years later. So when people are talking about all this frustration they feel, we know the roots of that are in apartheid. But I actually want to go a little bit further back because I want to talk about something that the current president, Cyril Ramaphosa, has said. And he's talked a lot about what people consider to be South Africa's original sin. I put that in quotes there. And that actually isn't apartheid itself. The taking of land from the indigenous people of this country was the original sin. It caused divisions, hurt and pain amongst our people. Now, what we need to do is to be aware of the fact that we are all called upon and enjoined to heal the divisions and the pain of the past. So he calls it the original sin, and it didn't just cause hurt. It kept all these generations of people in poverty because we know the easiest way to build wealth is through owning your own land. So how does all of this play out today? You know, you hear about black South Africans today talking about how they rent land and homes in South Africa and, and there's no ownership. And that original sin goes back to what was taken from people who were in South Africa, back to the Land Act in 1913. The white population was prevented from selling land to black people and vice versa. And then essentially what it did, it, it prevented the ownership of land by black people. This was about disempowering people. This land act that Femida's talking about gave just a small fraction of territory to Black South Africans, even though they made up almost 70% of the population. It's been really hard to close this gap. Nelson Mandela's government tried. They created this policy called Willing Seller, Willing Buyer. If a property owner wanted to sell their land, the government would step up and buy it and redistribute the land. But not a lot of people wanted to sell. More than 100 years after the Land Act, white South Africans still own 72% of farmland and half of urban land. And they have most of the wealth, too. And the politics moved on. The Mandela years are long gone. And the African National Congress found new leaders. And their critics say they've really been focused on enriching themselves instead of lofty ideas like land reform. The country lost billions of rand um, in terms of the economy. The unemployment rate increased. Government programs weren't effective in terms of dealing with huge issues like a lack of housing and schooling. 
this was, you know, very much about a presidency that seemed to serve Jacob Zuma and his interests. Now, going beyond that, and as I say, not just corruption, but the impact that Jacob Zuma had on the African National Congress. You know, you're looking at a party that was formed in 1912 that is regarded as the Liberation Party of South Africa that got us to this point. Now it's riddled by infighting factions, people who are pro-Zuma, against Zuma. We've even had the current president of South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa, call the period where Jacob Zuma ran South Africa, he's referred to it as nine wasted years. That's how badly many South Africans viewed Jacob Zuma in terms of the allegations of corruption uh, that clouded his presidency, uh, the poor decisions that were made, and just how negatively Jacob Zuma affected South Africa and perhaps took the country back in terms of the progress it had made. Nine wasted years. Meanwhile, more and more South Africans have moved into the cities and farmland has become less and less crucial to the economy. But people still want compensation, whether it's the actual land taken from their ancestors, a new plot of their own, or money to help them build lives in the city. And in all this time, they feel the government hasn't helped them. And now, other parties are taking up the land issue, especially the economic freedom fighters. When people are united, not even the powerful can defeat. That's their leader, Julius Malema. There are no conditions attached to expropriation of land without compensation because when they took our land, they never attached any condition. They just killed our people. As the elections got closer, the EFF pushed the issue back to the forefront. Remember that policy, willing seller, willing buyer? Now the government is planning to replace it with a new constitutional amendment. And there's a new catchphrase, expropriation without compensation. That means taking land and not paying for it. This made headlines. Seizing land from his own citizens without compensation because they are the wrong skin color. That is literally the definition of racism. He's going to turn South Africa into hell, just like Zimbabwe is a complete catastrophe. Donald Trump even tweeted about it. Quote, I have asked Secretary of State Pompeo to closely study the South Africa land and farm seizures and expropriations and the large-scale killings of farmers. So, Femida, there's a lot of conversation about this and what's going to happen, but let's take a step back. Do we actually know what this is going to look like? So what the government is now saying is that they want to take land from landowners and redistribute it and then not pay the landowners for that land. And this has, I think, created a lot of concern and worry for not just white South Africans, but yes, white South Africans, because they do own most of the land in the country. And I think it's been very unclear as to what the government plans to do exactly They haven't said exactly what the policy will entail, who the land will be taken from, who it will be given to, who would qualify for for land from government if it's purchased, if it's distributed with ownership, if there are title deeds and all of that. So if it sounds like this black government is coming for your land, people are going to panic. They're going to sell. They're going to leave the country. But but, but I, I don't think there's been a realistic look at what this could possibly mean. And, and I think because of all of these reasons, 
there is a greater defensiveness and, and, and attention. This is such an emotional issue. And as we're saying, it's a really delicate issue because seizing land could be so disruptive to the economy. So tell me a little more about that defensiveness that you've been hearing from people. There's one group of people you visited, white South Africans, who have almost retreated from this completely, right? You do have a growing number of white people in South Africa who feel increasingly insecure and threatened and worry about their future. And one of the the stories that we've been doing is around a settlement in the northern Cape province of South Africa called Eureka that uh, has been developed by a group of Afrikaner people. My name is Okert Swanepoel and we are at the lovely place of Eureka just outside of Gary's. Um, We share a past. And uh, we feel maybe differently about the past than other people in the rest of the country feel about the past. Okay, Um, so these are people who are building an all-white, or we can even call it a whites-only, settlement. And you yourself are not white. Your family is of mixed background. Do you speak Afrikaans? I do speak Afrikaans. I was very eager to understand what the thinking might be, what the fears are. Um, But there is a certain amount, as a South African, uh, you know... reservation, and also concern that there are people who want to create an enclave and separate themselves from a country of 57 million people. When we went up to Eureka, it's desolate, it's dry, it's dusty. I don't know if anyone would want to live there anyway, but I think it's the principle of the matter in that you can't segregate a democratic South Africa. So you have the assumption that you are knocking on the door of a little racist town where they're going to lynch you. And it wasn't the case. So you're expecting hostility, and yet you don't get that. Yeah. Not openly hostile. I mean, one doesn't know if it's, you know, PR, if they've been clever about how they need to conduct themselves, and you know, but not openly hostile, accommodating, friendly, and insistent that they're not racists. If you want to preserve a culture then that is the, those are the people that you want around you. People who have the same culture, uh, people who speak the same language, people who come from the same history. Uh, now, when we spoke to them, they said they now feel disenfranchised. They feel that their rights, their culture, their language it isn't protected. It's a sort of a refuge, I suppose, for people who feel that they have no place in a democratic South Africa. I think it started off well. Um, everything seemed to be going along well, and we were all building on a dream. But I think progressively, it got worse and it got more difficult. And uh, You know, this man in particular, I'm a 50-something-year-old Afrikaner man. I'm not able to find a job, and there's no place in South Africa for me. I'm a white male in my 50s. There's absolutely no way. No company would even look at me for employment. And uh, since we've been here, I've been working every day. I mean, we, we're building a town, so... I think so much uh, in terms of tension and even prejudice and even racism we see in South Africa and anyway, I think it's just spurred on by fear. It, it, it craps a bit because you're not sure, am I going to keep my property? Whether you're in town, whether you're in the city, whether you're out on a farm, it doesn't matter. That law covers everything. So, so here you've got a deep of white Afrikaner people who say, we're the victims, we've been sidelined. Then... On the other hand, we see a party like Black 
first, land first, which is a, a small party on the fringes. They make a lot of noise. They're vocal in South Africa. It is a racist country where white people have not returned what they stole from us. This is a party that's made a lot of news for one particular policy and for its leader, Andile Msitama. The leader of this party has been, you know, criticized um, significantly uh, because there, there are also concerns around an agenda and who backs the party. But you also have a black party that is refusing to allow any white people to join the party. We are a blacks only organization. Let that be clear. We will not accept white people. In and in this case as well, you have a black party who says black people in South Africa in 2019 have nothing. 25 years after democracy, 65% of black people are designated poor. We're still in the townships, we're still in the squatter camps, we're still uh, excluded from this society. And, and I think that's the reality of South Africa today. You have groups of people who feel that the new South Africa makes absolutely no room for them. And it seems like there's a widening gulf here between these two camps of people. Is that what you're seeing? I definitely think that's been the case. The, the, the two extremes, I think, are so interesting in that you have the two polar opposites. If you have both white people and black people in South Africa saying that things are becoming increasingly bad and this government is not taking care of them. And when you have the, the odd person saying things were better in apartheid, then you have to wonder about what's going on. Have you actually had people say that to you? I mean, aside from white people. Oh, yeah, no, many times. You hear it all the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure, all the time, especially from older South Africans in terms of crime. And, you know, and, and this is what is also interesting. You know we have a large crime issue. And so people talk about how, yes, we have democracy, but we aren't free. We're sitting in houses with burglar bars and security gates, and we can't go out at night. We watch our back. So what kind of freedom is that? You know, you know, Malika, so much of what we've spoken about, you know, and even if there's um, the issues are land or, or, or race or the economy or politics, I think even if you talk, if you talk to anybody, whatever their, their interest might be and their complaint, I think so much of it leads back to poor governance and a party who appears to be failing South Africans, whatever their background and race and economic status. And I think, funny enough, that's actually what unites all South Africans, uh, despite many saying that there are great divisions uh, within South African society, and how any government or any leadership in this country will navigate its way through in terms of delivery and a country that is inclusive. And listening to all of this, it really sounds like so many of the fears South Africans had 25 years ago. You know, the political structure has changed. Everyone who wants to vote on Wednesday will be able to vote. But so much of the system and the economy hasn't been unpinned from apartheid. Exactly. I, you know, I think there's a, a theoretical change. And I think it's, it's very nice and lovely. <laughs> but when it trickles down to people, what does it actually mean if their lives haven't changed? 
You know, if, if, if your parents are in a lower paying job and then you're in a low paying job or you're living in a township where they, they, you know, there aren't the amenities that you need, where electricity or running water, what does it actually mean in terms of change? And what does this mean for the democracy? Exactly. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Alexandra Locke and Dina Kispe with Morgan Waters, Ney Alvarez, Priyanka Tilve, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Seth Samuel was the sound designer, Natalia Aldana is the social media producer, and Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. Thanks to Femira Miller, Dorian Alexander, and their whole production team. And also to Anade Satuma and our bureau in Kuala Lumpur. You can also find me on TV at Al Jazeera's news talk show, The Stream, at aljazeera.com slash The Stream. We'll be back next week. <laughs>